Good morning, Citygate. Um, so Gordon and I and our teenage kids have been living in Bournemouth for four years now, part of Citygate Church. Um, and I want to start with a little story about when our kids were really little. Uh, so Gordon and I were having a date night. We were quite excited. We were off to the cinema to see one of the Bourne uh, films. Anyway, I was still feeding the baby, even though the babysitter had arrived, and of course we ended up rushing quite late. We drove as fast as we could, parked the car, we literally jogged to try to get to the cinema on time, and we figured, given the amount of pre-show adverts, we had a reasonable chance of getting in there just before the film started. However, as we walked into the screen, we could see that Matt Damon was already on the screen and there already seemed to be some high-octane kind of chase. Anyway, we realised we could just about work out in our row, there were still some, our two seats uh, sort of available, but they were right in the middle of the row. It was a big, uh, a big screen. It was full. And so we literally had to get like about 20 people to stand up while we awkwardly shuffled through aware that we were blocking the screen for like half the main block of the cinema. All very awkward. We got to our seats, caught our breath, started to try and catch up with what was going on. After about 10 or 15 minutes, we realized we still had no idea and the penny dropped. We were in the right film, but in the wrong screening. Probably they were a good hour into the story. And of course, there was nothing for it but to leave. So we had to ask the same 20-odd people to stand up as we awkwardly shuffled out shamefacedly. The point was that we thought we were in the right place, but actually we didn't have any right to be there at all. We didn't meet the entry requirements. We were a good hour late, and we didn't have the tickets for that screening at all. And today we're continuing our series about the parables, and I'm looking today at the parable of the great banquet, which actually addresses this issue of entry, not entry to a film showing, but rather entry to the kingdom of God itself. And again, we see there's some misplaced assumptions. So please turn with me to Luke 14, and while you're finding your place, I'm just going to set the scene. So Jesus, it tells us in the previous chapter, is at this point, going through um, various towns and villages, and he's on his way to Jerusalem for the last time. He knows that he's going to be dying there. And it's the Sabbath day, and so he goes to have a meal after, presumably, uh, the service. He goes to have a meal with one of the prominent Pharisees in the village. He's invited, and he's not the only guest. There's a number of religious leaders, others who are sort of respectable within the village, it seems, um, sharing this uh, Sabbath meal together. Apparently, this was quite normal. When there were traveling rabbis going through a village, oftentimes they'd be invited back so that the religious elite could kind of quiz them and find out what their political and theological views were. And at one point during this meal, one of the guests turns to Jesus and says this, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. So this isn't just a statement, it's actually a question. He's kind of saying, Jesus, what do you think about the kingdom of God? And what do you think about the messianic feasts? Now, the Jews believed that at the very end of time, um, this would occur. They were expecting a Messiah to come and to bring liberation for the Jewish people, to establish the reign of a sort of free Jewish kingdom um, that would be glorious, and that ultimately there would be 
be this glorious feast with the Messiah and the righteous Jews. So the guest probably expected Jesus to answer this way, to say, yes, blessed indeed are the righteous of Israel who will share this feast. Let us carefully follow all the rules of the scriptures so that we'd be counted in this number. The guests around the table and the guests who asked the question seem to have assumed that they would easily meet the entry requirements because of their standing, because of their careful observation of the law. And Jesus doesn't respond the way that they expected. He responds instead with a parable that we're going to be looking at. And he uses the parable to indirectly challenge some of their assumptions. They think they have this ticket for entry, and he's throwing that into question. So let's look, look at the text. Luke 14, we're starting at verse 15 the parable of the great banquet. When one of those at the table with him heard him, he said this to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. And Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who'd been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. And another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. And still another said, I just got married so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered the servant, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. And then the master told the servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet." So we're going to begin by just making a few observations about the story itself. Um, Just to say, I've been reading a book called Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes by Kenneth Bailey. And so all the kind of insight about cultural things comes from him. He's very clever. Um, So first of all, I want to say that there's two invitations. It's important to note this in verse 16 and then again in verse 17. So first of all, a messenger would go out and say to people, we're having a banquet. Would you like to come? And they would indicate whether or not they were going to come. On the basis of that, the host would determine how many animals were going to be slaughtered, how how many loaves of bread were going to be baked, how much wine was going to be purchased, and the food would be made ready. Then the servant would go out again and say, come, everything is now ready. This was normal practice in the Middle East, and apparently it still sometimes happens that way today. The second point I want to make is that the excuses, which I have to be honest, when I read previously, I just thought, oh, it meant they were busy. The excuses are far-fetched, okay? So the first and the second one, I've bought a field and must go and see it. 
or I've just bought five yoke of oxen and need to try them out. It's kind of ludicrous to suppose that people would have entered into these transactions and handed over money for things that they hadn't seen. In the Middle East, there's lots of desert land. So having good farmable land, that's a really precious commodity. Apparently, negotiations for land, a good field, could sometimes take months, even years. So of course, any self-respecting farmer would go and inspect the land look at the quality of the soil, the orientation of the field, were there fruit trees, are there terraces? All these things will be explored and investigated before the field is bought. Likewise, if you have five yoke of oxen, any farmer would inspect the animals. And in particular, the, the idea is that they had to be tried out because you needed to see that a pair of animals, so a yoke of oxen, were able to sort of work together well, that they had the same strength, the same stamina, because uh, otherwise it just wasn't effective. So all these things would be sorted way in advance of money being handed over. So these excuses don't hold water. They're just a smokescreen. Although they say, please excuse me, actually there's nothing polite about this at all. The third excuse is the rudest by far. I've just got married and I can't come. He doesn't even ask to be excused. There's clear innuendo here and this was not an acceptable way to talk about your marriage in public. So it's important for us to understand that these are deliberate public insults. The intent is actually to humiliate the host, to publicly humiliate him. And it even seems that there's collusion amongst the guests because all of them are responding with these dodgy excuses. It's as if they're actually trying to shut the banquet down. So thirdly, I want to talk about the host's reaction. It's important to note that when he's angry, that is a completely justified response. He's been treated really, really badly. And of course, the Middle East is a shame on a culture. And I'm sure we've all heard of situations where people have felt slighted and have responded with insults and sometimes even violence to defend their honor. But the host here chooses to respond in a very different and a very surprising way. He determines that the banquet will not be wasted, that all this wonderful food that has been prepared will not just be left uneaten and unenjoyed. And so instead, he sends out his servant to invite in the most unlikely of people. So having made those observations, what do we think the parable is actually all about? How do we understand what Jesus is saying? I think really there's two main points, at least that I'm going to focus on today. So the first is about the kind of people who can be part of the kingdom of God. And secondly, Jesus is actually talking about himself and about his ministry. He's saying what he's here to do. So firstly, the kind of people in the kingdom. The religious leaders sitting around this table with Jesus assumed that the kingdom of God and this end time messianic feast was for people like them. Their race, their type, the respectable and the respected law-keeping Jews. But Jesus is saying, actually, the invitation is so much wider 
What we see is that after the invitation has initially been refused by people, that the servant is sent out to the poor, to the crippled, the blind, and the lame within the town. And these actually represent those who had low standing within the Jewish community. And as I understand it, the religious leaders around the table would almost certainly have assumed that their state suggested they were outside of the favor of God, outside of the things of God. But Jesus is saying that these who were considered unworthy outcasts within Israel were actually welcomed into his kingdom. And of course, this accords with what we see of Jesus's ministry. Do you remember he came and in Luke 4, he declares that I've come to proclaim good news to the poor. And we see Jesus time and time again ministering amongst the crowds, amongst the sick, amongst the demon-possessed, amongst the needy. Secondly, there's still space in the banquet, so the servant is sent out again. And this time he's sent to those outside of the town. And it's almost certain that here Jesus is affirming that the kingdom of God is not only for the Jewish nation, but actually even for the Gentiles. Actually, people of all nations and all tribes and all tongues are welcome. So Jesus and his mission, what does this story tell us about Jesus? Well, just to draw your attention to verse 24 in the story, it says, I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. And at first glance, it looks as if this is still part of the story, part of the parable, and is the host still speaking to his servant. But every other time that happens, it's always in the singular. But actually, when Jesus says, I tell you, it's I tell you in the plural. So what it seems is actually at this point, Jesus has already finished the story and he's looking up and seeing the people around the table and he's saying to them, I tell you, you, no one who's invited to my banquet and refuses will taste my banquet. Listen to it in the passion paraphrase. It's put like this. I say to you all, no one who receives an invitation to feast with me and makes excuses will ever enjoy my banquet. So do you remember when Jesus began his ministry? He came saying, the time has come and the kingdom of God has come near. Jesus is saying that actually, as he came, he was the one bringing this second invitation. His coming was actually this declaration of come, everything is now ready. The people in Israel were starting to enjoy this kingdom feast. People were being healed People were being delivered. He was revealing the truth of God. He was actually revealing and releasing the things of heaven on earth. And here is the extraordinary, extraordinary thing. We find that in the story, the only difference between those who get to enjoy the banquet and those who don't is how they responded. Did they come or did they not? The issue seems to be How do they respond to Jesus? So funnily, it doesn't seem to depend on your social status. 
It doesn't depend on your race, whether you're a Jew. It doesn't depend on your health or your wealth. It doesn't even depend on your personal righteousness. It seems to simply rest on this. This is the issue if you want to taste the banquet. Do we humbly respond to Jesus and come close to him? Or do we refuse him and stay far off? So what does this humble response to Jesus look like? I heard someone put it this way recently and found it helpful. They said, when we come to the cross, which is where Jesus died for us, when we come, we're required to lay down everything. We lay down all the bad, but also all the good. We know we lay down the bad. We come and we bring our sin. We bring our selfishness. We bring our hard-heartedness and we receive his forgiveness. But how about the fact we also need to come and bring all our good? All the things that we could have trusted in for our salvation other than Jesus, that trust in those things also needs to be laid down in the same way as the Pharisees their stumbling block was they were trusting in their pedigree. They were trusting in their law keeping. It turned out none of that was actually going to save them. The only thing that could save them was responding to Jesus and receiving him and his preparation. And so here we learn that we come to Jesus with all our failures, but also oddly with all our successes (laughs) and our false trust and confidence in those. This is the humbling and profound truth. We can contribute nothing to our salvation. I've been dwelling on this, thinking about his grace, his sufficiency. And I've been imagining a little interview between Jesus, oh sorry, between someone who's seated at Jesus' banquet and between a reporter So this isn't kind of just following on from the parable. This is me just using the kind of parable theme to explore this idea of God's grace. And I'm going to have a go at being the interviewer as well as being the guest. Bear with me. (laughs) Okay, so interviewer. So how comes you're here at this amazing banquet, if you don't mind me asking, were the supper tickets expensive? Guest. Oh, no. I'm poor, you see. I could never have paid to come. But there was no need. It wasn't one of those expensive charity dinner type things. For me, for all the guests, it was free to come. Interviewer. Oh, really? So was it just the normal bring a bottle type of thing? Or was it a bring and share party? What did you bring? Guest. Oh, no. I'm really poor, you see. I didn't have a bottle of wine. I didn't even have some food to bring. But anyway, have you seen the spread? Have you tasted it? I have never tasted anything that good. How could any of us have added to that? The host paid for everything. He provided everything. Interviewer, wow, so you just showed up with a shirt on your back. Guest, Right, no, I didn't have a shirt. Didn't I mention I'm poor? I only had a few rags to cover me. But the host gave me this amazing robe. It's so beautiful. It's so clean. I never imagined I could be dressed like this. Interviewer, 
Well, gosh, I bet you're pleased you knew how to make your way here. Guest. Oh, no, I didn't know the way. I was blind, you see. But the host, he sent a messenger to show me the way. Interviewer. Wow, I bet you got here super fast so no one else could take your seat. Guest. Oh, no, you don't understand. I was lame, you see. I had to persevere to get here. But this is what kept me going. I'd been told that the banquet wouldn't start until every place was filled and the host had reserved a place for me when I set out to come to him. I knew that if I could just keep going, there'd be a seat for me. Interviewer, so how does it compare to other banquets you've attended? Guest, no, 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 I was a cripple, you see. In this region, that made me an outcast. I'd never been invited to anyone's home for a meal before, no one's ever considered inviting someone like me, let alone to a banquet like this. Interviewer. Well, I guess you're really glad you knew the host. It makes it worthwhile living in this town. Guest. You don't understand. I'm not from around here. I wasn't part of this community. I'd barely even heard of the host, and I certainly didn't know him. But the host sent out his messenger. He found me on the highway just outside of town and he told me about the host and the banquet and he gave me the invitation. I couldn't really believe it at first, but the messenger was so persuasive. He compelled me. He said even an outsider like me was welcome. Interviewer. Well, I suppose you should be proud at least of the fact that you had the sense to come along to the party. Guest, highly frustrated. No! No, I don't think you're listening. Literally all I did was turn up. The host, he did everything. I'm here because of him. I brought nothing. I brought nothing. He gave everything. It's all about him. And isn't this our story? Salvation free for us, but it cost Jesus his very life. He was slaughtered so that we could feast. Jesus said in Revelations 3, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice, and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. I don't know if you realize, but that scripture is actually written to those who were already in a church. They were already part of a church, but they've been putting their trust and confidence in the things of the world. They've been directing their appetites, as it were, in that direction. And Jesus is saying to them, no, no, there's a feast for you to have with me. But will you come? Will you come? Will you direct your hunger, your thirst to me 
and let me truly satisfy. It turns out that the food that the world offers is actually just candy floss and junk food. The finest fare, the true food that satisfies is with our Saviour, who promises living water and that he's the bread of life. And so the question today is, how have you responded to Jesus? And how are you responding to Jesus? Maybe you've never responded to him. And I want to say, come. I want to stand in the shoes of the messenger for a moment and say, come. Whatever you've done, whatever your lack, it's okay. He's so full. You can come. Come to him. Come to him. But maybe you're someone who, I don't know, gave your life to Jesus years ago. But actually, you've been directing your hunger towards the things of the world and looking for them to satisfy. And Jesus wants to say again, come back, come back, come close. He wants us to feast on him, on him, with him day by day. And let him satisfy our souls. just like to quickly read from Isaiah 55. And as I do that, I just encourage you to think, what's your response to Jesus? Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. You who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labour what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good. And you will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I think we're going into a final song. And I'd like to encourage you, keep thinking, what's your response to him? There's people going to be available to offer prayer. And if, if you want to respond for the first time, or maybe just another time, to say, Jesus, I know you alone can satisfy. I know you alone are the one who holds the words of eternal life. I'm sick of trusting in other things, looking to other things. I want to look only to you and feast with you afresh today. And I want to invite you to come. Thank you.